0: Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright in the book of Revelation, one of the things that you see is uh, the Apostle John, who wrote that uh, book, is trying to often describe things that, with words, and, and he's trying to paint pictures with things that he's never seen, things that he's trying to explain, things that he wants people to to understand. Because it's so, uh, you know, picturesque, let's say, uh, there's this tendency sometimes for people to avoid reading the book of Revelation. But can I tell you this, is that the the Scriptures say at the very beginning of the book that there is the promise of a blessing for those who read the book aloud, for those who hear it. When we say hear it means to understand it and for those who keep it. And so I just thought, let's get blessed the next seven weeks, everybody. Uh, you know, like if if that's true, well, let's go ahead and do that and let's read it. Let's hear it. Let's keep it uh, and let's keep it in our hearts. So I guess people could look at the book of Revelation and it seems like stories and and, and they think, you know, it's hard to understand or well, maybe there's this sort of re- reference that the that the Bible is just an old fashioned book. It's just for, for um, you know, old fashioned values. Well, let me tell you something, the book of Revelation would just throws all of that out the window. And I'll tell you why. It's because when we read the book of Revelation, we realize that it's not just anchored in the past. It speaks about our present, but there's so many prophecies in the book of Revelation that point towards our future. In other words, they are things that have not happened yet. And if we look over time in history, one of the things we would see about the prophecy in the Bible is it continues to be accurately predicted, which I believe points to the fact that whoever wrote this. Whoever authored this book is clearly outside of time and history. Now, if it's outside of time and history and it still speaks about the future, it's impossible for this to be an old fashioned book. Don't let anybody ever tell you it's an old fashioned book. This is a contemporary book. More than that, it's a futuristic book. The stuff in it hasn't even happened yet. So that means that the values that are in here and the things that we hold as truth, they're not our old fashioned either. Those things are written by an eternal God. They are eternal values and things that we should pay attention to. Now, the book of Revelation, if you read it, because it deals so much with prophecy, it actually helps to close the gaps on some of our knowledge about what God wants to do with Israel. Israel is not over and the church has not replaced Israel. There is a plan for Israel. There is a plan for God's church. And it helps us understand something about the age that we are in. In the book of Revelation, there are over 800 references to the Old Testament. So it's clear that this book is not only anchored in Scripture, but it's like taking a key and unlocking some things so that we can fully understand some things about the future. Now, as I said, there are some parts that are hard to understand about the book, but in the first few chapters, there is seven letters written to seven churches. Now, the letters were written by the Apostle John, but it was dictated by Jesus. The Apostle John was caught up and and had an encounter with God. He had a vision. And so he wrote down everything Jesus told him to say. And so here we are 2,000 years later, and we read some of these Scriptures, and they, they really make an impact on us even now. When he wrote the letters, the point of the letters was, yes, to encourage the church in some way, but it was also to provide correction to the church. And in 2,000 years, as I say, the same issues they faced then are the same issues that we face now in, in many ways. So we don't have to wonder what Jesus would say to the church. We can just open the book and start to read the letters that He wrote to the church, and we can learn from their mistakes. I just figured if we learned from their mistakes, we wouldn't have to make them ourselves, right? And that's a pretty smart thing to do. That's what this series is all about, helping us to learn and unpack. So I want to read to you the second letter. Last week we did the first letter, we're going to read the second letter today, goes for seven weeks, deals with seven letters, and this one is to the church in Smyrna. Now something that's interesting about the way that these letters are arranged in the Bible, something that should stand out to us and make an impact on us, is not just that there were seven letters to seven churches, but it's the order in which they were arranged. Because for some people, and I'll admit that this next point is a little bit controversial, but for some people they believe that the order of the letters prophetically outlays the history of the church from the time of the early church until now now not everyone believes that but it is interesting as I say it's very interesting in fact we would if we were to take those seven letters and if they were arranged in any other order if one letter was before the other then what I just said would not be true But I give God enough credit to be pretty smart. And I think He understands how to write the Scriptures. And I think He's arranged it in this specific way because there is something that it's meant to teach us. And if that's true, it means the last letter that we deal with is the letter that deals with the church in our present age. And won't that be exciting when we get there, right? four of you. Great. Awesome. So anyway, um, I thought what I'd do today is is I would outlay something about the church of Smyrna just to help us unpack it and understand it. If we understand something about the city, then we're going to understand more about the letter that was written to it. So it says to the church in Smyrna, and if there was, if this was, um, if the letter was arranged in prophetic order, then this would be to the early persecuted church. Doesn't that sound exciting, everybody? So Let me tell you something about Smyrna. The word Smyrna comes from a a root word, myrrh. And myrrh was one of the key exports of Smyrna. They were a very wealthy city. It was one of their key exports. And myrrh is actually like perfume. And when you crush it, it gives off a scent. You probably would have heard of the word myrrh before and never used it outside of a nativity scene context, you know? Because what did Jesus receive? Gold, frankincense, sand? Okay, so we understand that they were the gifts that He got. I wonder if you know that the gifts that Jesus received, even those themselves, there was something prophetic about them. There was a reason why He received gold, frankincense and myrrh. And when it comes to myrrh, it was a foretelling of Jesus's death. What does the Scripture say, except that He was crushed for our iniquities? And so it points to something that was going to happen in Jesus's life. And and, and when I say that Jesus was crushed for our iniquities, if I leave that there and move on and don't explain it, it is quite odd. So that is actually talking about the Gospel of Jesus. And I believe that it doesn't matter what message you preach or what Scripture you read. Honestly, as Christians, it all comes back to Jesus. Every message we hear should have something to do with the Gospel because I think the entire Bible points to the person of Jesus. And the gospel is the greatest message you'll ever hear in your life. It's a message that no matter how far you are from God today, He absolutely loves you. And He made a way for you to be in relationship with Him. And guess what? It's not if you just be really, 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 really good and do your absolute best, you won't impress God because you'll still fail. You know why? Newsflash, you are not perfect actually not a news flash, is it? Every single person on planet Earth understands that they're not perfect all of the way through their life. But here's the good news, and that's why we call it the gospel, it's good news, is that you don't have to be. Jesus lived a perfect life you could not live and then He gave it to you as a gift. That's why salvation as a gift. He paid the penalty for your mistakes and if by faith today you say that you believe He died for your sins and you want to enter into a relationship with God, you can. Isn't that all There's no working up to it. You don't have to be good. Sometimes I hear people say, oh, if I walked into a church, it would fall down. You kidding me? God loved his church so much, he created this so that you could know who he is. Amen? So, let me tell you about Smyrna. It's a port city with two harbours, which is part of what made it such a wealthy city. And the city kind of spread up this mountain, Mount Pagos. And when you got to the top of the mountain, there was a fortress. It was called the Crown of Smyrna, the Crown of Smyrna. Now in the city of Smyrna, they worshipped a number of different gods and and deities, but it was the centre for a god called Dionysus, a, a, a false god that they would worship, Dionysus. And Dionysus was the God of wine. Immediately, some of you were drawn into the message. You've heard everything I've said, and you went, wait a minute, say that again. Yet yeah, the God of wine, it's okay to have a glass. Don't worship the God of wine if you understand what I'm saying. And so anyway, they worship the God of wine, and the priests, the temple priests, they would wear what we call a laurel crown. A laurel. Have you ever seen pictures of Caesar, uh, you know, and he's wearing that, it's like a leafy crown. yes. Okay, that's a laurel crown. In fact, they say this is where it started with Caesar starting to wear that crown. It was a a laurel crown. So now that you know a couple of interesting things about Smyrna, let's read the letter that Jesus dictated to the Apostle John. It says in Revelation 2 verse 8, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, now, Jesus is dictating it. John is writing it and he gives it to the angel. What? Well, the word angel, it actually means um, messenger or invoice. So uh, the letter was going to go from John to the messenger who would give it to the church. With me so far? Yeah. Yeah. All right. It says, the words of the first and the last. All right. This is Jesus saying the words of the, these are his words, of the first and last. The last. One of the things we see in all the letters is that Jesus has a title and He has a different title in in, in the letters. And in this one, it says that He was the first and the last. Or how else would we say that? What if we said He was the beginning and the? And He was the Alpha and the? Okay, He's the Alpha and the Omega. So He is the first and the last. What is this a reference to? If If this is a title of Jesus, it's clearly a reference to His divinity. He's the beginning and the end. What of everything, right? So it's a reference to his deity, his divinity, and then it says who died and came to life. Now, gods don't die. So he must have become flesh and dwelt amongst us too. And so when we read this, this is a reference to what? His humanity. If you've ever wondered where does the Bible say that God was fu- that Jesus was fully God and fully man, well, how about this neat little sentence? that tells you everything in just a couple of words. It says in verse nine, I know your tribulation. Now he's writing this to the church in Smyrna. And who is the church? It's not some corporate body that exists somewhere. It's actually his community. It's his people. The church is not a building. It's just made up of His people. So when He writes to a church and says, I know your tribulation, He knows what each individual is going through. And you might have felt at different times, like God has no idea what's happening in your life. And this letter and all the letters that He writes would tell you the exact opposite. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows the trouble that you're facing. In this letter, He says, I understand that you're going through somewhat tribulation." Tribulation. That word in the Greek, tribulation, means to press, to squash, to rub. What does that really mean? To crush. Interesting that he writes to a church in Smyrna that's key export is myrrh that gives off a sweet aroma when it's crushed. He says, I know you're going through a crushing season right now. You're going through a difficult season. And he says, and your poverty. There are two Greek words for that word poverty. This one means that you are dirt poor and you have to beg for food. That's literally what it means. So they're dirt poor, they're begging for food. And he says, but you're rich. Obviously, he's not talking materialistically, but he's talking about spiritually. He says, and the slander of those that say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Jeez, that sounds bad. He says in verse 10, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Sounds good so far, but listen to what they're going to go through. It says, behold, the devil. The devil. Who's responsible for everything they're about to go through? The devil. Come on, guys. Who's responsible? The devil. Okay, so it's going to come at the hands of other people, but who's actually responsible? It's the devil. And there are so many times where things come against God's church and it may be in the form of, of politics it may be in the form of your workplace maybe it it like literally takes the form of your boss at work i i don't know but things are coming against god's church things are coming against god's people and at the same time he says yeah it's going to come through that person but who's really responsible for it it's the devil right so we understand something that's very important that we hold a tension with in our culture is that even though it comes through other people, someone else is responsible because this battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers and things in the heavenly places. In other words, oftentimes what we experience physically or in our world that comes against us, there is somebody who is spiritually inciting that. And the reason I mentioned that to you today is because God wants us to remember that someone else is inciting it because the person through which it comes is someone that as God's people, we are still supposed to love and that's still a person that God wants to reach. So if we make that person the devil, whoever they are, then we've missed the point. Something's behind what they're doing and our job is to reach and love the person that it comes through and that, whoa, that's attention. That's a difficult thing. Thanks for your encouragement, mum. Appreciate you. He says, Behold, the devil is responsible and is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. All right, 10 days, that sounds doable. Oh, be faithful unto death. Uh, Maybe it's not doable. Uh, Now, now let's just, I don't know. And I will give you the crown of life. Every letter has a promise. This promises the crown of life. What do you think that is? Eternal life. says, I'll give you the crown of life. Verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's in every single letter. And then he says, to, uh, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Now, can you imagine getting that letter? Remember the blessing at the start of the book of Revelation? Blessed is the one who reads it aloud. You're like, oh, I don't know. Uh, imagine if you receive that you're the messenger and you get the letter and you're like, all right, listen up, everybody. Uh, the Apostle John, you all know who he is. Uh, he's 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 given us a letter to read and I read it to you now and then get into the end of that. It's pretty short, pretty stark, pretty cold, pretty confronting kind of letter. Apparently, you'll be blessed when you read it though and understand it. And Jesus says midway through that letter, by the way, don't be afraid. Makes me wonder whether he understood everything he said after that, because he said, don't be afraid. Or, you know, they're talking about going through 10 days of tribulation, and then it's going to end in death for some people. If you receive that letter, you'd be thinking, hang on, wait a minute. Is this really, you reckon you got it from the apostle John? I don't know. Like, Would Jesus really send us a letter like that? Like, Because, because we have been praying for the opposite of that. We've been praying that we'll be released from this. We've been praying that God would not make us go through anything. And you're saying, the very thing that we said that we don't wanna go through is the very thing that He's gonna send or the very thing that we're about to go through? Are you, are you kidding me right now? I'll be getting on that phone and calling Jesus and just making sure that everything that was in the letter is everything that was meant to be sent. I'll be saying, Jesus, it might have been a faulty connection, a bad connection when you spoke to John. I'm just calling to double check a few things. And before I do, just want you to just know a couple of things. Number one, we're dirt poor. We're begging for food, but we're still faithful. And we've been praying that you would release us from our poverty, which is interesting, Jesus, because uh, the Apostle John just delivered a letter. It came via someone else, but he's delivered a letter to us that says we're about it's about to get worse <laughs> and it's going to end in, in in death and and Prison and I just want to make sure you, you said, uh-huh. Oh, you did. Oh, that did come from you. So it wasn't a bad connection. Well, okay, I, I want to say thank you, but I don't feel like saying it right now. I guess we'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. You know, like, are you kidding me right now? The very thing that they don't want is the very thing that's about to happen. Boy, doesn't this letter just completely destroy prosperity doctrine? (laughs) Guys, are we paying attention today? Hello? Doesn't that destroy prosperity doctrine? What does God want you to be? Healthy every day of your life and rich, rich, rich. Are you kidding me? Because here's a church that are faithful, dirt poor, and they're about to go through some hard times. And in this letter, one of the things that you'll notice is that there's zero criticism of the church. If you read the other letters, there's a lot of criticism in there. And this one, there's no criticism, which means what? Which means that, you know, it's not God that's punishing them. Now, this isn't punishment from God. This is a different P word. This is simply what we call persecution. Now, we know who's responsible because he said the devil is responsible. We know that he's responsible. He's inciting it. But who's it going to come through whose hands? The Jews. The Jews. He said, by the Jews that are not Jews. I thought that was interesting. How can you have a Jew that's not a Jew? How does that make sense? If a Jew is born to their mom and dad and they're both Jewish, does that not make that kid Jewish? Right? And you think, yeah, that makes sense. Except to be Jewish is, is probably means a little bit more than just who your birth parents are. It's fascinating because Jesus was trying to teach the Pharisees this back in his day. Do you remember that he was speaking to the Pharisees and they said to him, we are not illegitimate children. We know that our father is Abraham. And they said, well, you know, we're from his bloodline. So we are clearly Jewish people. And what Jesus was trying to teach them is he said to them, you know what? You rest on the fact that God is your father because your bloodline is Jewish. He said, if you really want to become a son of God, then you should think about the works that you're doing. He said, if you loved God, you'd do the works that he does but if you if you're he basically said your father is the devil and you're doing the works that he would do in other words he was saying guys don't just rest on your genetics don't just think because your mom and dad were christians that you'll be a christian don't just think that because your mom and dad were catholic that you'll be catholic Man, I, I don't know how many people I have met in my life that say, where I say uh, you know, we have a conversation about faith or something, and they go, they say something like this. They say, yeah, well, we're, um, I think, yeah, we're Catholic. Yeah, you know, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, um, yeah, we're we Christian. Yeah, we're Christian. You know, we put it on the census. Less people are doing that these days, evidently, right? <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I, I think we are. Listen, if you ever have seen somebody think like that, they're not. They're not. <laughs> yeah, people know who they are. You've never seen anyone go, I think we're Pentecostal. I think. Are we? Too, are we? We are, right? Right? Oh, when you're Pentecostal, you know. You know. No one, <laughs> no, no, no one mistakes that, you know. I think we. No, you, you would know, you know. So wh- what's the point? My point's like you don't inherit your faith. You can't inherit it. You don't get to heaven because your mum and dad gave their life to Jesus. If you wanna get to heaven, you've got to make a personal decision to follow Jesus. And you know what? Forget what people say. People are gonna say all kinds of things. We know often when people have given their life to Jesus based on what? The fruit of their life. What did Jesus say? He said, a good tree will produce good fruit. It's not rocket science is it Mm. well you know the opposite is true a bad tree produces what Uh, right that was so easy so a bad tree produces bad fruit so the fruit gives us indication about the health of the tree so you're supposed to be producing good works with your life those works will by the way they will not get you into heaven ever right what are they then they are the evidence that genuine faith is present. Yeah? yeah. So they're not going to save you. It's the, faith that, it's the, it's the evidence that genuine faith is actually present because no one's forcing you against your will to do these things. Yeah. You just want to do it. So when you see the fruit of a person's life, it tells you something about their spiritual health and how they're going. Now, if you produce that kind of spiritual fruit, it will attract opposition. Evidently, this has been happening for a long time now. Because this is exactly what he's writing about in the scriptures, what John wrote. And the church in Smyrna, the Smyrnians I will call them, I don't think that's a thing, but it's my sermon, so who cares? I'll preach it how I want. (laughs) Right? The Smyrnians, here they are, they got told what? That they will have persecution for, do you remember how long it was? For how many days? Okay, so for 10 days, well, what does that mean? It sounds pretty short. Okay, so they, I don't know if they had a conversation. They said, sounds like it's gonna to be tough, but in a week and a half, it'll be over. Unless it's a, uh, what we call a Hebrew idiom, which actually means that it's gonna be for a short period of time. But if you understand anything about persecution and how it happened uh, in Rome, it happened for a lot longer than 10 days. Yeah. You know, so Jesus says, oh, it'll happen for 10 days. How many times have you felt like God was gonna do something in a time period that you thought it was gonna happen, you prayed to Him? One of the things I've discovered about my relationship with Jesus is that He doesn't wear the same watch that I have. Mine beeps often says, need that healing right now or that blessing right now. Evidently, Jesus is on different time. And time doesn't work the same way. So when we read this scripture, is he saying an exact 10 days? Maybe what he means is an exact 10 time periods, which is really open. And then if you look at all the emperors that came through Rome, the first 10 emperors severely persecuted the church. So maybe what he was pointing to is not 10 literal days, but he was pointing to 10 periods of time where the emperors would persecute the church. That happened, by the way, over a period of 250 years. And in that 250 year period, they blamed everything on the Christians. Cities on fire. Yeah, you know who did that? The Christians. There's a famine that broke out. Do you know who's responsible for this famine? The Christians. A new disease came out. You know what they said? Oh, you know who did this? Those Christians. They blamed everything on the Christians. In fact, the Christians got such a bad rap. Obviously, they didn't do any of that. They got such a bad rap, it became illegal to be a Christian. That sounds horrible, doesn't it? Every now and then, I just want to know that you're listening. That sounds horrible, doesn't it? Well, hang on to your hats. (laughs) Because who knows, maybe it could happen again. It could. In this, in this time, if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, he's done an intensive study around this. They reckon that 5 million Christians were killed for following Jesus in that time period. It's shocking, isn't it? And, you know, population-wise compared to the global population, 5 million, that's, that's a lot. But can I tell you the truth? It's so much worse than that now. Like so much worse. In fact, today, one in seven Christians is persecuted severely for their faith. I'll put a, a number attached to that. I'll touch a number just for f- a frame of reference. 360 million people around the world are severely persecuted for their faith. And People do research about this to try to find out. I mean, if you're in you know, different countries around the world, I'll, I'll just give you the top five. Afghanistan, North Korea, Somalia, Libya, Yemen. That's just the top five. If you're in those countries, you'll be, you'll be murdered for following Jesus. And you think that's, that's wild. By the way, how, how do we know that they're the top five countries? Well, people do research about it. One of our missions partners is a group called Open Doors, and their job is to support the persecuted church. And they measure persecution, the way that they rank the order of those countries. They actually look at the top 50 countries, And they rank their order of persecution based on two things. Number one, violence, and the second thing, pressure. What's that? Crushing. It's crushing. I know you're going through tribulation right now. I know you're going through crushing right now. What will you say when you feel under pressure from your culture to compromise what you believe in? What will you say? What will you say when persecution knocks on your door and asks you to walk away from what you believe in to avoid that, that kind of penalty? What will you say? You know, when I, was, when I was becoming a Christian and getting involved in church, one of the things that I thought, I thought, my God, maybe you'll ask me to you know, pastor or something one day. And to be honest, I always thought it'd be all right maybe being a team pastor, but definitely not the lead guy. Definitely not the senior pastor. You know why? I understood enough about our culture to know that there's gonna come so much pressure on that position and that role to, to get people to form in fall in line. The words that we say, they're online right now. This this is being recorded and broadcast. This can be brought up in 10 years. There'll be a copy of everything that I'm saying every single week. And I thought, man, I wouldn't mind being a team pastor. I know about being the senior pastor. Evidently, God has His way. Okay, here I am now. But I I didn't want to do that because I understood something about our culture. And in our culture, there is crushing. In our culture, there is so much pressure to conform to what our culture says. And I I tell you the truth, they don't have the moral high ground, but people are shifting what they think and what they believe. You will get crushed on social media if you actually say what's in this book. You will get crushed there. You, You will get crushed in your workplace if you wear a lanyard and it's not the right colours. You could get crushed in there. Why? How come you're not wearing it? You know, everyone wants to talk about tolerance except when it comes to the Christians and the Jews. That's true as well. We want to talk about tolerance, but there's no tolerance there for what the Word of God says. And you know what? He's the same God yesterday, today, forever. His Word doesn't change, but we're, we're, we're looking at, I said this last week, I'll repeat it on purpose. We're looking at a culture and a generation of young people who are hoping to reinterpret what this says. You know what? I, why I think that's happening? To take the pressure off. Because if we can make people feel more comfortable about their their sinful lives, and and, and everything that this says is sin, if we can reinterpret that and say it's not, then I don't have to go through the crushing. And people want to avoid the crushing at all costs, but it's going to be pretty hard to do because evidently it is mounting. It's getting, it's increasing. You get get crushed by your own family. You get crushed by your friends if you hold a different narrative to the one that they have. And we have to accept that this is God's Word. It is what it says. He means what He said. He's not gonna change His mind about it. And at the exact same time, I'm kind of thinking, how can we get out of this? Does anybody want to get out of the crushing? Is anybody interested in doing that today? Hello, just put your hand up if you just as soon avoid it altogether, right? Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, some of you are honest. The rest of you lions will pray for you, right? Nobody actually wants to be crushed. Like, no one says, please crush me. Like, we don't want this, right? We got to get out of it. I want to try to get out of this, right? Well, there is a way to get out of it and I'll tell you how to do it. It's actually very simple. All you need to do is walk away from Jesus. And if you walk away from Jesus, the persecution will stop. The pressure will stop. The crushing will stop. But there is one problem with walking away from Jesus. It's that you won't get the promise that's in the letter. What was the promise? It was the crown of life. And trust me, you want that crown. Not only would you miss out on the the crown of life, you might have to be one of those people that actually is concerned about what they called the second death. But guys, at least you got options. At least you got options. The the, the church in Smyrna, they had options too. They had options. They could give their allegiance to who? the the crown of, of Smyrna, or they could give their allegiance to the crown of life that Jesus offered. And their culture, believe it or not, forced them publicly to choose. So it was mandatory is compulsory. If you lived in Smyrna, what you had to do was worship the emperor. And so once a year, honestly, once a year, you would be required to take a little bit of incense and you do this in front of people and you just throw a bit of incense into the fire and you declare Caesar is Lord. And if you do that, off you go. No problems. That's all you had to do. And so, I mean, can you imagine being faced with this scenario? So you tell me all I've got to do to get out of all the crushing and the pressure, bitter incense, Caesar is Lord, and I could go back to my church and continue my work. Yep. And so you know what some Christians did? They said, well, I'll just do that. They, They wanted to avoid the crushing altogether. But there was a group of people that had a conviction that was so strong about the fact that they would never let those words come out of their mouth, they said, we'll never do that. You know what happened to those Christians? They were burned at the stake and fed to lions. Guys, lions. (laughs) Like actual lions. Can you imagine that? Like here you are, and someone says, look, who cares? You say the words. It's three words. Caesar is Lord. Who cares? You don't even have to mean it, right? You just throw the incense in. You say three words. You're back to your good old life. So just do it and just do it publicly. And they said no. I'm trying to imagine this. Like here you are. They give you the incense. You can choose what to do with it. And you're standing there. You've got two paths that you can choose. One is throw the incense, say the three words, back to church. The other path is say no. They say, right, see that lion over there licking his chops? We're going to feed you to him. It's a pretty tough call, isn't it? And you think, like these guys, all they had to say was, was three little words. Aren't they, aren't they thinking about their deaths? Aren't, aren't they concerned with their life? Well, yeah, precisely. Yeah. That's exactly what they were concerned about. They just looked a little further than the ones that were trying to preserve their lives. They just looked a little deeper. Oh, don't get me wrong. No one wants to die, but they were more preoccupied with the second death than they were with the first death. So we're going to go through some hard times right now. But even if we go through these hard times, we'll come out, you know, and we'll go into life Eternally, I, I, I didn't read this this morning, but I want to read it. This is something that the, Paul the Apostle said, who went through immense crushing. He said, This light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He said, you know what? This is light and momentary. This guy was stoned so badly that he died and he had to basically be raised back to life he was shipwrecked he was beaten and he says oh it's light and momentary they took an eternal perspective on what they were going through and they said no we're we're not going to do it sometimes we've got to think about what we're really afraid of and i do think this we've got to get our fears in order we've got to get our fears in order you know like if i all right so everyone's afraid we all have things that we don't like right like who doesn't like spiders yeah, of course you don't. Like, people don't. Anybody that says, oh, I love them, I'm like, I'm afraid of you. I don't know about you. Yeah. If one, like, I don't have a fear or a phobia, but we don't, I don't want to hang around with them. So, so, you know, I don't like spiders. You know what I don't like? You know what really freaks me out? I wouldn't say I have a fear because I still go into the ocean. But if I can't see and I'm swimming and seaweed touches my leg, I'm like, that's it. I'm gone. Jesus, take my life now. He's got me. You know why? Because I love my shark tacos and I, read, I watch them all the time and I know what's going to happen. I'm going to get in the ocean. Something's going to touch my leg. And I think it's a shark. He's got me, right? So, so, so yeah, I'm afraid of that, right? Now, now those things, there might be like small fears, like, you know, not, not a really big deal. Um, guys, where would you put lions? Yeah, pretty high on the list of things to be afraid of? All right. Well, in that list of things to be afraid, where would you put denying Jesus? Where would you put that in the list? Is that somewhere down here? Because anybody that threw the incense and said the three words, they probably put that down here. But the guys that had a, a fear and a reverence for God and said, I will never say those words, they put denying Jesus at the top of their list. And you know why? I'll tell you why. Matthew 10, 33 to 30, 32 to 33 says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. You've got to get your fears in order. You've got to get your fears in order. What should you really be concerned with? What should you really be afraid of, right? And as I look out over this room today, and I feel supremely confident in saying this, right? Right. In about a hundred years, you'll be so glad that you did that. Because guys, in a hundred years, you're not going to be here. right? Who, who wants to go to heaven? Yeah. All right. Do you know how to get there? Do you know the, the doorway with which you must enter to get there? I'll give you two options. Either Jesus is going to come back or you'll meet him before he does. You'll meet him on the way. In other words, you've you, you got to die. And so I look at this and I say, well, we want to go to heaven. So if I want to live there and have eternal life, I've got to get my fears in order today and make sure I'm occupied in this life with the right things. Here is is my point. And honestly, I'm finishing this message right now. Normally the team are here by now. I don't know where they're (laughs) doing. Let's believe that. Um, This is... There is one point to this sermon. There's just one point. And here it is. Never, ever leave the one person who can save your soul. That's it. Like we don't, we, don't, we don't need to know much more than that. Never leave the one person that can save your soul. It's Jesus. No matter what. We're not, we're not selling out for anything. We're not giving Him up for anything. These guys wouldn't even give up their lives or save their lives for that purpose. They said, we'll give them up to hold on to Him. Never give up Jesus for anything. He's the one person that can bring you from this life into eternity. I want you to imagine it. Think about it like this. Imagine you're in a house and it's caught on fire and the whole thing is burning down. And there's a room that you're in and it's on fire. And a fireman walks into the room and he says, hey, I'm here to help you. And if you come with me, I will carry you. Now, we're going to make it through that fire, but you're going to have to come with me. We're going to make it through. I will be with you. We will do this together. And I'm going to carry you out into safety. And instead you say, nah, this side of the room isn't on fire yet. I'll be safe for just a little bit longer. I'm just going to stay here. Guys, the whole thing's burning down. The whole thing's going to come to an end. And if you think that you're preserving your life for just a couple of years or just a little bit longer by saying, no, 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 leave me. I'll do it on my own. I can do it by myself. What are you, crazy? Jesus is the one person who will pick you up and carry you from that flame into eternal life. Never ever leave the one person who can save your soul. Never leave Jesus, never leave Jesus, never walk away from Him, never deny Him, confess Him and He will confess you. Do you know what's interesting to me? There are seven letters written to seven churches It is two churches, in fact, that that only received commendations and didn't receive corrections. The Church of Smyrna and the Church of Philadelphia. And they are the only two churches that have lasted for the last 2000 years. Every other church is no longer around. And that makes me think, it makes me think. See, sometimes for the next generation, We did baby dedications today. We're so aware there's another generation that's coming through. And for that generation to know who Jesus is, they need a present generation that has a conviction on their heart that says we will not give Jesus up for anything. And if we do that, we leave a legacy of faith to a generation that's coming. That's how those two churches are still around today. And all the other churches, they're gone. So here's my encouragement to you today. Just be faithful. You know God. You love God. Be faithful. Confess Him. Never deny Him. But you, you, you got to live out of a place of conviction. And when I say conviction, it just means you're resolute in your heart about what you believe, and you're not going to give it up for anything or anyone. And remember, while you carry that conviction, but the people that disagree are still people that God loves. And it's our job to do everything we can to lead those people into a relationship with God as well. So yeah, carry your conviction, carry it with wisdom. Do you understand what I'm saying? Can I pray for you today? Why don't you stand to your feet? I am going to pray that God will give you courage to hold on to your conviction. So let's do this. If you want to receive this prayer, Raise your hands right now. Father, I thank You for every person that's in this room right now that has a belief that Jesus, You are God. And I pray God that You would give them courage to continue to believe that and confess that no matter what our culture throws at us. No matter what we hear, no matter what we see, I pray that our church would be filled with people that are uncompromising when it comes to their faith. And God, we, as we look through even the Scriptures, there were always people that said that they would, they would uh, not confess You publicly for fear of persecution. But God, I pray that the presence of Your Spirit would fill people, that we be Holy Spirit-filled people that love You and refuse to step back. In fact, God, I pray that we step up. I pray that our witness increases. I pray, God, that we talk to more and more people about who You are, all the more as we see the day drawing near. So Father, I pray for every person that says, that's me, God. They're saying, I, I I, want this. I pray, God, stir them up. Stir them up, God. Give them faith again to be able to confess who you are without fear of retribution because we're not living for other people. We have a healthy fear or in reverence of who you are in our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today, and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.